I hope everyone is doing well, healthy and safe. We live in very turbulent times, but I hope that everything's okay where you live. Everything is still okay here. I have to say that I'm getting more and more nervous about a second wave. The number of infections with COVID-19 has been on the rise for several weeks now. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is only going to get worse if the weather changes and people are going to be more inside. I just hope that we don't go back to where we were at the beginning of this year. You know, between March and June, that was so... Testing, to put it mildly, not to mention, of course, so many people seriously sick and dying. Um, The the situation worldwide is still extremely difficult. And uh, I continue to pray for a quick uh, solution in the form of a vaccine. But even if the vaccine is there, you know, was it it Fauci who said the other day that uh, it may still take until the end of next year for things to return more or less to normal. So we're in it for the long run. We somehow have to kind of deal with the new normal, but it doesn't mean that we have to like it. (laughs) We still have to try to do what we can given the circumstances. I, for my part, I'm so glad that a lot of the work that I do is online and is relatively easy to continue despite the situation in, in, in our society and uh, the economic situation. But still, huh, at one point, you really need more input. I want to go out there, I want to travel, I, I have to postpone all that. But, of course, there is uh, much more to worry about than, than you know, my preferences. I hope to keep you entertained and also encourage you with these podcasts so that I can brighten up your day a little bit, entertain you, maybe take your mind off all the stuff that is uh, causing so many worries. Um, that's why I'm here. That's what I. That's why I do what I do. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So I've taken, taken some more steps into this large world. <laughs> Actually, not steps, but I've been going on my bike to film uh, some TV episodes. I'm really getting the hang of it. First few episodes, when I was uh, editing them, I was like, oh, why didn't I film that? Why didn't I ask that? But uh, I'm, I'm starting to find my groove, and it's, uh, it's very enjoyable. And much more, um, let's say, diverse than I thought it would be. I thought I would, that every episode would be so-so and maybe not not even what I would like, the stories that I would like to tell, just the stories that I think that w- would work well with the format of this TV show. But I'm actually really enjoying the, the journey so far. Um, it does require a lot of planning. There's not much margin. So here's hoping that I won't fall ill because that would be very problematic. Uh, on the other hand, I'm much less nervous and stressed about this than I used to be in previous years. You know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, I won't be able to deliver all the episodes and then they'll have to just repeat some of the previous episodes. I mean, I'll make a little less money or I'm not making any money anyway. I'm just all going to uh, to Tridio. But um, yeah, there's actually... things are. I'm enjoying it so far and I'm pretty relaxed under it. And that is something that I can only compare it to how I felt about my work in previous years. And this is day and night difference. Um, the, the only thing that I still struggle with a little bit is to keep the, the right balance in terms of also taking care of myself. Uh, it really helped to go out for a run or a bike ride early in the morning. That r- uh, helped me protect that aspect, which is also vital for my work. Because if I'm not fit... If I'm not in, a, in, you know, in my prime state or my 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 best state, then I will not be able to to bring my A game. So uh, that is more or less under control. Although some mornings it's still pretty difficult to <laughs> to to squeeze it in, especially if I have to do so much filming in other parts of the country. But I'm doing my best. And then uh, the other thing that is still 
a little bit difficult is to find enough time to relax, to read a book, to cook, to not be behind a screen or behind a camera or behind an altar. <laughs> Let's add that to the mix because that is also a ton of work. But um, I feel that uh, still, I mean, I it's it's good that I enjoy my work so much, but it is it's not the right work leisure balance uh not 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 the best equilibrium so i need to work on that i maybe have to uh set some some more specific time apart in my calendar for reading and for uh just spending time doing nothing it's been a long time i long for the times that i was able to build lego sets and just stream that and not be bothered by all the other technical issues and it feels like my life for months has, has been about solving tech problems whereas i want to make content i want to entertain i want to have a great time and share that with people and lego was very much part of that but for some reason i, I just feel that like the time is not ready yet for that i, I just there's too much going on and uh, and that prevents me sometimes from doing what i would like to do same as with the discord uh community for my patrons uh there are lots of great conversations happening there and i wish i was there more but it's just i can't squeeze it in i can't squeeze it in and but i'm not feeling that guilty about it because it is what it is and I, i'd rather make sure that i you know sleep enough that i stay fit that i enjoy what i do and all the rest, even though it would be nice, and I'm really hoping that over time I will be able to find that right balance. But if it's not there, well, then it's not there. I'll have to make do with what it is. Um, and it's not that... The, the, the thing is, you should, I should... And that's something I've learned over the, over the years, is, is to not promise too much. Not say, oh, I'm going to do this, and I will be doing that. Uh, if you want to do too much and you, you'll end up doing only half of it and you will not do a very good job so i'm trying to focus on the on my the, really the core things that i have to do and that i want to do and all the rest is gravy that's how i look at things all right speaking of gravy it's time to move over to the world of well not the kitchen that's for my other podcast father roderick to the max where i always share my favorite recipes with uh, my patrons but in a certain way metaphorical way movies tv shows are definitely the gravy on my day because at the end of a long day full of work for me they're the perfect way to relax and then i'm happy to share it with you at least to give you some tips how do you not like movies they're predictable like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and darth vader is luke's father not liking movies is like not liking puppies they're fine i just get bored and never make it to the end you know you need a movie education you need a movication i'm gonna give it to you so i've been watching quite a few documentaries lately both on disney plus and on netflix and i'm enjoying them very much uh, some of which are actually behind-the-scenes documentaries. This is the stuff that normally in the past would be on as an extra on a DVD or on a Blu-ray. And I remember that when streaming became all the rage, I was worried that we would never get to see all this extra material anymore because there wouldn't be an incentive for companies to produce this extra material since they're distributing everything digitally and well, there, for, for Blu-rays and DVDs, it was often an extra incentive for people to, to buy the actual disc. But now that, that that is no longer done very much, I was like, okay, what about all these director's commentaries and, and extras? Well, it turns out that, that for um, a number of companies, there is a new reason to produce extra content and documentaries. And we've seen it with Netflix, we've seen it with Disney. And that is, they keep the brand, the franchise alive when they're working on the next season. For instance, The Mandalorian. Uh, production of a new season of The Mandalorian takes about half a year. And once the series has e ended, you still want to keep people excited about you know, this upcoming season. But if there's so much other stuff that people can watch, they might forget about 
well, I don't think that's ever going to happen with the Mandalorian, but with other series, it could could, could be that it, it just disappears from you know the the the. I don't know, the interest of people. And they may switch over to other networks even. So a documentary series like Disney did for, about The Mandalorian, I think even though it was for a niche audience and probably a lot of people will have skipped it, I loved it. For me, it just rekindled my love for that series and my admiration for what Disney and Lucasfilm are trying to pull off here because it, this is the future of Star Wars. And I love to hear more about what's going on behind the scenes and what the thought process is and how they come to certain decisions that are reflected in the story. I learn a lot from those, from those documentaries. Now, Netflix is trying to emulate that with another series that, that has been very successful for them and will get another season or more, and that is, of course, The Witcher. Um, the Witcher definitely, uh, I think for Netflix, they had high hopes, but it, it, it surpassed their expectations. It was a huge hit. And uh, already, I think, gathered a, a bit of a cult audience or community that is uh, eagerly awaiting the second season. And so in order to keep that community motivated and interested, they created a series called Making the Witcher. And here's the official trailer on Netflix. One of the things that interested me most when I sold The Witcher, can I tell all three stories of Geralt, Yennefer, and Ciri at the same time? Action! I hunted down the opportunity to play Geralt. There's something unique about the way R.J. Sapkowski wrote The Witcher. It's a world of magic. And monsters. It also has a gentle side. This was a real opportunity to create from the ground up. It was so exciting. It's about 10 days of training for a fight that will be on screen for about two minutes. Some creatures combine visual effects. Parts were built so there could be physical contact. Different perspectives is very useful for the storytelling. It's been an exciting journey. And the series has a big world that we will continue to explore. The series is called Making the Witcher, and it's available on Netflix for anyone who is uh, subscribed to that service. And it is pretty good. And actually, the documentary, and there's also a secondary series uh, that is um, like brief 10-minute segments about each episode and how they filmed it and what they were trying to, to, to accomplish with the episodes. Both these series have been extremely helpful, not just to understand what was going on behind the scenes and how they made the series, which is, you know, of great value to me uh, as such, but it also helped me to understand story because uh, if you remember my review of the of the first season i was so often so confused by all the the hopping around in time that was happening and and all these different story threats to me the story felt very opaque that was a boon because i wanted to rewatch it and i've done so in the meantime um so and i understood much more what was going on lots of things that i didn't get in the first in first viewing, but with this uh, information of the documentary, it also tells a lot about. It talks a lot about uh, the 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 books, the Polish books, on which the games and the series were based. Um, it gives you so much more background information that it really helped for me to to put all the pieces together. And and I'm sure that if the next season starts, I'll be much more like, okay, I now I I know what's going on. Um, and it's, 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 I think it's actually very admirable what they were trying to accomplish with the storytelling and the complexity of the characters. Uh, it's something you, 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 you kind of experience, but if you hear the rationale behind why they gave certain, uh, why they chose certain events or certain short stories of the series and placed them in this timeline of the, of the TV series, why they did that, and how it contributes to the evolution of the various main characters, it really enhances your viewing of the series. So I'd highly recommend that. Making the Witcher, and I think the other episode is, or the other, other series is called Into the Episodes or something like that. Um, if you like The Witcher, you want to know more about the back, backstory of that, definitely check it out. Um, I think it will be worth your time. Then... I want to talk about another Netflix series that I've just started to watch, and it's it's not bad. It's totally up my alley because it's about uh, a a journey to Mars, 
Now, this is not Lost in Space. This is about a woman played by Hilary Swank, of course, Oscar-winning actress. And she's heading a team of international astronauts that are making uh, the first, I think, the first manned mission to Mars and hopefully also want to return to, to Earth, which I'm not even sure if our real-life plans to go to Mars include a, 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 a return ticket. I, I don't think so, actually. I'm, I think they're going to stay there and die there. But anyway... In this TV series, it's about this woman who leaves behind her husband and her daughter, teenage daughter, to go to Mars, with all the perils that that entails. Um, and then the first season is about what happens to her relationship. When I was watching it, the first few episodes, I was like, it's almost as if I've seen this series. This feels so familiar, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Uh... And then I'm thinking all of a sudden, well, wait a minute. There was this other series with Katie Sackhoff. Um, and this was also about uh, a, a, a spaceship, like she's in space and then her family is on, on Earth and it shows all the tension that's going on. And it's like, wow, this is the same story, basically. Um, but it's told in a very different way. Um, I was impressed by the acting, especially Hilary Swank is, is amazing. The rest of the crew is intriguing. At first, I was like, okay, well, all these, this, this crew of astronauts, it's full of tropes. You know, it's the cranky Russian, it's the very emotionally closed uh, Chinese woman scientist. You've got the, what is it? Is there a French dude? I don't remember. But anyway, but fortunately, over time, um, that starts to shift and they do flesh out these characters. Uh, and so they do a little bit what Lost did very well. You have a couple of people that you meet in Lost. It was on an island. And at first you just see their initial, you know, their, you think you know them. And then they show you their backstory. And uh, it turns out that these characters are way more complex than you thought they were. And that makes you want to watch the next episode. You want to discover more about that crew and you start to feel an attachment to the to the characters. Well, in a way, uh, that's the name of the series, they try to do the same. It is unfortunately a bit hit and miss, especially, uh, I mean, I like overall, I like the series, but um, especially what the, the events happening on, on Earth are a little bit, I don't know, they, they feel just not as compelling and interesting. They, they are important to the story, but I wish that instead of doing it 50-50, it would just be like 80-20. Like, uh, what I want to see is what happens on board. It's the journey to Mars. It's that the space adventure. That is why I watch this series. The What happens on Earth is it could be in any soap series, to be honest. And uh, so it, it kind of drags on sometimes. It is a little bit too... It outstays its welcome, all these, these interpersonal themes, and you just want a little bit more of the Martian and less of Apollo 13 on, on Earth. And also, the disasters that happen are all a little bit too convenient, as, as if the ship is breaking down every single episode. There's a new technical problem that they have to solve. So it, it's a little bit generic at times. And yet, overall... It's a pretty good series. I kept, I keep watching. I haven't finished it yet, but it, it, it. Um, sometimes I'm like, okay, this could, this could have been better. It's that idea. It's like you feel there's more potential in this story, and it, at least in this first season, it doesn't really come out yet. Maybe it'll get better. Maybe also because of our feedback as as viewers. But uh, I overall, I'm, I, I like this kind of storytelling. And I hope to see more of it on Netflix and other streaming platforms. Then I want to move back to the world of documentaries and I want to make you uh, aware of a, a very good documentary on Disney+. And uh, I'm going to see if there's a trailer of that, actually. Howard, Disney+. Plus. Uh, it's um, a documentary of one of the most important people in the re uh, let's say the 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 rebirth of disney i would almost uh, call it you know with with the little mermaid disney was 
actually starting something new. It was a new time of success for them um, after a whole period of very mediocre stuff and even the business not really working that well. And with Little Mermaid and all the other big successes afterwards, it says that Disney was entering a new golden era. A lot of that had to do with the music. And uh, the music, of course, made by composers and also by lyrics writers. And this documentary called Howard is, is based on the life, or not based on, it shows you, documents the life of Howard Ashman, who is the genius who wrote all the famous songs from these movies like, you know, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and, uh, and, and Little Mermaid. His story is a very tragic story. It's a story about uh, a, certainly a very talented man, but whose life ends way too early in a very tragic way. He, uh, uh, he, uh, in, how is it? He um, he gets AIDS and dies at the age of forty, without even seeing the premiere of the Beauty and the Beast, and. He left a legacy of amazing songs, amazing lyrics. And the documentary shows how he worked. And it, it is for Disney. At first I was like, okay, this is going to be uh, just one of those very glamorized documentaries where they're going to just skip over the, the controversial parts of his life. I mean, he he's, uh, lived uh, uh, homosexual relationships. That's probably how he, occur how he uh, got the AIDS. Um uh, well, it was also very difficult to work with, very uh, temperamental. At one point, they even wanted to fire him. Um, and then, of course, they didn't. So it, it shows you a very nuanced picture of someone who both was incredibly talented, but also had an, a, a lot of issues in his life. Not all of, of them maybe his own fault, but still... the. There's a lot of tragedy in that life. And, and I, I applaud Disney for showing that in the documentary. I'm going to play the trailer here. Ready to stand. Ready to stand. As a lyricist, the last great place to do musicals is in animation. The combination of Howard Ashman's talent and the Walt Disney name was a home run waiting to happen. The stuff that was coming out of Howard's pen lyrically was just unbelievable. It's quiet, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, this is so cool. They show you behind the scenes uh, material of Howard directing the voice actors that sing the songs, and then you see the song. You see how th how it ends up, and, th and these are the songs that you've known for decades. And I, I sing along with these songs all the time. And here you see the moment it is being recorded, and he's correcting these singers, and it's like you gotta do do it a little bit more like that. And they do another take and another take, and you're just like. <gasps> But that's the version that we all know. And to be able to, to witness how these songs were made is unbelievably cool and interesting. Howard and Alan Menken had captured the imagination of a generation. We knew something really special was happening, but what we didn't know was that in nine months, Howard would be gone. And Howard said, we really have to have a serious talk. I'm sick. In animation history and in musical history, Howard's mark is indelible. Me. Ah, yes. Howard's gift was so strong and his light was so bright that it has not diminished over the years. I've been enjoying the documentaries on Disney Plus tremendously. It's actually one of the hidden gems, I think, uh, of, of the Disney uh, treasure chest that they're offering with Disney Plus. I've also watched uh, the documentary series about how they made Disney World, all the theme parks. Very interesting. Very long documentaries. Like some of them, these episodes are more than an hour long. Very well produced. Um, there are a bunch of other documentaries about Disney themselves that are not at all the kind of like, uh, here's Disney, we do everything right. Uh, no, it also shows the struggles, how difficult the, the people, the real people that make these stories, that tell these wonderful stories. And I love that they do that and that they go beyond kind of the corporate presentation of themselves. And I think it only makes it a more compelling overall picture of the brand. I mean, Disney is made out of people like you and me who have incredible talents, who are able to create fairy tales, but whose life and whose struggles are just as real as our struggles 
and our life. And so it's absolutely compelling watching. And so hearing this story, and of course, Alan Menken is just as much a, a part of this success formula with these, these three movies as, uh, as Howard. But the combination, sometimes you have just this, this perfect match music and lyrical talent and and uh, and howard was much more than that he, i think he was also a director in, in a sense um and a lot of the songs uh, even if they had the same lyrics if he hadn't been there while they these singers were recording them it wouldn't have been the same wouldn't have probably not have the same impact and so uh this is this is fascinating uh also what i loved about it is, is how much they the documentary itself portrays Howard and also all the other people. And this is also true for the, the whole documentary series about Disney World. And you see also the flaws and the problems and the struggles and, and the disagreements behind the scenes. And wow, I, I'm really in awe of what Disney is doing here with these documentaries. So definitely go check it out. Um, there is one song that Howard wrote for Aladdin when the movie was still in pre-production... And they were taking the story at first in a different direction. They, they were trying to tell at least the first part of the movie more the origin story of Aladdin himself, talk about his difficult relationship with his parents. And then there's this one song that Howard wrote and that was deleted, was, was not realized when the story was moved in another direction. So, And this was a song... Um, where I think Howard put a lot of his own experience in life in that song. And there's actually a demo tape. Um, I think if you are on Spotify, you can probably find it if you look at the uh, complete soundtrack or whatever of, of Alain. Um, and it is, it's a moving song. It's a, it's a very beautiful song about growing up and about uh, having to deal with your parents' expectations. Let me see if I can find it on... Um uh, on on uh, was it what is it special edition is it here on Spotify? It, it, the song is called "Proud of Your Boy" and the demo is is Howard himself singing it at the piano, uh, or maybe it's Alan Menken who sings it, um, and it's just with a little bit of a what is it a synthesizer uh, piano so. It, So this is Aladdin telling his parents, I will make you proud. Or uh, I think he's, this is to his mom. I'll make you proud of me. Because a lot of the origin story was about his parents basically rejecting him. That's how he ends up on, in the streets. But you feel there is, so, there is so much emotion in the way that this song is performed and the, in the way the lyrics are written. And if you've seen this documentary, you're like, oh, this is, this is about him. This is about his own experiences about wanting to wanting people to be proud of him and this and and then of course with the the added uh situation where he he well at least at that time he wasn't able to tell people that he that he uh, was a homosexual um or, or had the same sex attraction i don't know what best way to say <laughs> but the, 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 this this rejection that he felt around him and then that struggle can I really be myself can people be proud of me if they truly know who I am and then he put all that in the song it's like wow uh, once you've seen that documentary you the, you see how much art and life are starting to meld and I'm I'm very sad that this song was never part of of the Aladdin story because I would love to have heard this in a in a you know fully orchestrated version it's a wonderful song it's one of my favorite songs actually of the of uh, uh of Mencken and, Ch and Howard's uh, work so uh that's another tip go check out that song but make sure you watch the documentary first and you'll uh, you'll understand it maybe even better what else have I got on my list here of things to talk about uh let's talk books or no wait a minute yeah let's talk books <laughs> When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? So last week I had a, a short uh, 
conversation with my friend John Domic, uh, and he's currently reading um, uh, the King. What was that book? Oh, name escapes me. It's one of those big, six hundred plus pages books. Anyway, he said, "I'm so glad that I'm actually reading this as a real book." like a paper book, because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I listen to an audio book, I can't focus. And when I try to read on my Kindle, it's like every page looks the same. And it's so, but uh, when I read a book book, every page feels different. And I, it's much easier for me to get into the story. The book is Way of the Kings, I think it's called. And, and I was like, wow, that's so relatable. And I have the same experience. Uh, so I've been... Uh, trying to read more this year. But for some reason, reading on my Kindle puts me to sleep. I can't focus. It's, it's, uh, it's strenuous to read on a Kindle. And I think this is not just because I'm reading this electronically. It's also because my eyes are deteriorating and, and reading from a small screen like that. A Kindle, even though it's, it, it looks big, it's actually the screen is much smaller because there's a huge border. It's only eight inch or something like that. So it's like a big phone. And I have trouble reading my own phone with, without extra glasses. So I was like, yeah, it's true that I prefer actually reading a regular book, if only because the pages are bigger. And I, I don't like reading on my iPad, uh, probably for the same reason. Also, because I don't like the light shining in my eyes, especially in the evening. And audiobooks are fine, but audiobooks are slow read. I mean, especially if you read a 600-plus pages book, an audiobook version can be like 18 hours. Where do I find the time? So I, even if I listen at three or four times the speed, which is not the best way to consume an audiobook, but yeah, it's, it's still taking a ton of time. So I've been thinking, what if Amazon would give us a bigger Kindle? Would that make it easier? I, I've, I've shared with you my own back and forth about, you know, if I'm going to get another iPad, am I going for the bigger one, like the 12.9 inch, or even a Samsung Tab S7 Plus? I feel that my eyes really need something bigger, and it will be more relaxing to read uh, from a bigger page. On the other hand, it's going to be bulkier, it's going to be more ex way more expensive. But it made me think, why did Amazon never give us a bigger Kindle? They, I think they had one like a number of years ago, never got a sequel. And so they keep putting out these small 8-inch paper whites, and even their flagship Kindle is still very tiny. So I've been looking at other brands, if there are any other, you know, paper-based or what is it, uh, paper technology, paper uh, digital ink type of devices that could replace my Kindle. I think there's only one brand that I wasn't familiar with. I don't even think you can get it in the Netherlands. And it was seven, eight hundred bucks. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I can get a Kindle or I can get a, a, a new iPad for that. And no, that's too expensive. But I'm thinking Amazon is such a market leader. Why don't they give us bigger Kindles? I don't know. I don't understand it. However, the other day I was in a real bookstore for the first time since the beginning of the corona crisis. Well, no, that's not true. I've been in an Amsterdam bookstore uh, once, but it wasn't a very nice experience because I felt that people didn't keep their distance. This bookstore was way bigger. It was in Utrecht, the city where I studied. And uh, it was a really nice day. They moved from one building to another and are now in a former post office, which is very Art Deco style and just huge. And I just realized how 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 much I enjoyed having real books in my hands again. As so I even bought a book, I, I really had to restrain myself because I wanted to take home, I don't know, 10, 20 books. I was like, okay, well, when are you going to read them? And I also feel a little bit uh, guilty about buying a book that I already have in a Kindle version or as an audio book. So now when I see a book, I first look in my apps. Do I already have it? Do I have access to it? And if I have, then I'm not going to buy the paper book. But I did buy a fun book that is o that only works on paper. This wouldn't work on a Kindle or an iPad, and let alone an audiobook. And it's 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 a it's a book about. Uh, do I have it here in the room? No, it's in the kitchen. So I, I'm not going to get it. But it's a book um, where they 
have all these tiny uh, cartoons that show you the formulas behind the big, big blockbusters and how so many of our movies, be it Hunger Games or Star Wars or The Martian or you name it, all these genres are based on tropes. And the stories always unfold in a certain way. And these are almost laws of storytelling. If you've uh, ever read uh, The Hero's Journey or, you know, a little bit of the, no, bit, bit of the backstory of how Lucas, uh, uh, George Lucas created Star Wars, it's all based on those, on the, on the hero's journey. And, and, and a lot of this, the story beats um, are not just Star Wars, but you find them in almost any blockbuster. And so what this book does is it, it, it shows you fictional, like cartoon versions of movies. And then it's almost like follow your own adventure. So it's like the hero lives in a village. See a picture of a village slash city slash uh, farm town. And then encounters uh, uh, a quest giver slash wizard slash uh, um, uh, Jedi slash <laughs> who tells him to follow him to uh, to Tatooine or Alderaan slash uh, um, go find the lost shard of something, go bring back the ring to Mordor. And so it goes through all these movie genres with like step by step you can say, oh, um, this is Lord of the Rings if I make this choice. And then, oh, it's Lord of the Rings. And they never use the names. The, the cartoons give it away. But they, they steer away, from, of course, from anything that's copyrighted. Uh, but you can totally see what they're doing. Um, and I was surprised that they even bring together some, some movies that, in my mind, were very different from one another. But then when you see the underlying storytelling structure, like, whoa, this is identical. <laughs> These two movies are the same story. <laughs> Oh wow! So, uh, but that that is such a colorful book, and the, the the drawings, the cartoons are so funny. This is not. This would not work in a digital version. It would be too small. It, there is something tactile about having this book and just paging through it. So I was like, okay, this is money well spent. I'm going to pay twenty bucks for this book because this is something I want to hold in my hands. This would not work in any other form. So. That was a good exercise for me to determine what to buy, what not to buy. And, uh, and, and then when I was in that bookstore, I came across another book. I haven't read it. I've started to listen to the audiobook because that was a book that I typed in and I found it on my Storytel app. It turns out I have all three uh, parts of the trilogy. And the book was, was quite expensive too. It was like 16, 17 bucks or euros. Um, and so I, I already they were part of my subscription to Storytel, and also the audiobook version. Um, and th this is a book that I'm eager to read because it's currently uh, in in pre-production as a Netflix series. Uh, but it is, in certain way, it's kind of a new genre. This is Chinese sci-fi, uh, which apparently is very heady, very philosophical. It gets amazing reviews. The book is called The Three-Body Problem, at least the first book. There are two sequel books to it. Uh, and it's written by Xi Jing Liu. Xi Jing Liu, just like my uncle's name. My uncle is from China. And my, my grandmother also, her last name was Liu. Um, I guess it's like Johnson or whatever. So uh, The Three-Body Problem by Xi Jing Liu. And I have to say that listening to the audiobook in this, in this case was very helpful because it starts in the 60s in China, it gives you a bit of a kind of a setup of the, like this is the context, and I don't know how the story will continue, but it gives you a lot of information about the revolution that was going on back then, and I really had to stop and go to Wikipedia and read up on Chinese history and about the revolution, and then I was like, go back to the book, oh, now I see what, what he's talking about. Um, but the narration is very good, and uh, it, it, what it... It helps me, the narration, with the Chinese names because they left all the Chinese stuff intact. But when you read it, you don't know how to pronounce it. And that's the advantage of an audiobook. You get all the Chinese pronunciation. So it, it's much easier to recognize names and places than if I would just read it. So The Three-Body Problem by Xi Jin Liu, according to someone who reviewed it, the first book is, is mind-bogglingly good. But if you read the second book, the first book, 
feels like a Disney story. And then when you read the third book, the second book feels like a Disney story. That's how you know, like deep and profound it is. So that makes me very curious, reviews like that. Hopefully um, the, 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 the books will not disappoint my high expectations. Do we have time for a quick visit to the Peculiar Bunch? Sure, why not? <laughs> Catholics rock! It's time to spend a few minutes with these weird Catholics, these uh, peculiar types with their peculiar rights. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I want to talk about uh, the church as both an ideal and also a reality that doesn't match the ideal. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster video. So to me, there's no doubt in my mind that the church as we know it, the Catholic Church, is definitely something that Jesus wanted. And he explicitly mandates his apostles to go and form these communities. And that's what you see in the rest of the Bible, in the Acts of the Apostles, in the letters of St. Paul, etc. They build small communities. They build the first churches. And it's based on both the, the work of the apostles that they then transmit through ordination to uh, other bishops and priests, um, and it's also mandated. It's, it's, it's based on the primacy of, of Peter, St. Peter, as the, the rock on which Jesus wants to build his church. Um, and so in that respect, I always felt that the, the Catholic Church is absolutely something you cannot just discard as just a human construct, like you hear so often, where well, I can do without institutional church and institutional religion. I'll just you know, make, I'm spiritual. I'll make my own religion. I, of course, I, I understand the thought behind it, but I, I doubt if that is what Jesus had in mind. Otherwise, he wouldn't have called his apostles. He is already institutionalizing his followers during his lifetime, and he and and the the first apostles did exactly that. They continue to organize because organization in itself is not bad. Institutionalization is not bad. However. There's another aspect of the church. It's made out of human beings with all their fallible sides and their mistakes and their sins and their betrayals, just like you and me, let's be honest. And so it's that side of the church that Jesus also dealt with. The apostles that he cho chose were not saints, were not perfect, quite on the contrary. They betrayed him. They often misunderstood him. They were sometimes bumbling idiots and constantly... Jesus had to show them, this is what I mean. <laughs> Let me explain this one more time. This is not how you should behave. This is what I want you to do. Okay, you messed up. I forgive you. Try again. That, the, the Gospels are full of stories like that. We get often hung up on the human side, and for good reason. Because if I'm honest, this fallible human side of the church is often an obstacle for people to see the transcendental dimension of the church, the divine aspect of the church, the holy aspect of the church. The church is holy because of Christ. And it's holy despite us, humans. And yet, Jesus never wanted to do it without us, without sinners, without fallible people that make mistakes, that are harsh, that are inconsiderate, and that do not reach the ideals that he set forth. The problem is that in a church, this has always been the case. But what was also a reality in the, in the Catholic Church was that it was this awareness that the church is made out of sinners, that I am a sinner myself, and that we live out of forgiveness. That being a sinner and not being like Christ is only something that should make us more humble and give more room for for Christ to be the sanctifier, the one who makes us holy. But what happened is, I think, and this is not the first time, but what happened in the 60s is that we completely threw overboard this notion of sin, this awareness that we are sinners and that we need to be forgiven. 
we became cocky and self-confident and thinking that we could do without something like confession, something like absolution and forgiveness of sins. I could just close my eyes and ask forgiveness myself. I don't need a priest for that. And so said the priests, and so said the bishops. And what happens then is a church that forgets how important it is to acknowledge your sins from time to time, not to feel culpable or to live under the burden of your sins, but to be constantly invited to be freed from your sins and to be given a new chance to better yourself, to strive for holiness instead of settling with mediocrity. And if I encounter, and I do encounter a lot of people that are disappointed in the way that people treat each other in the church, disappointed by their priest, disappointed by their bishop, maybe disappointed by me, I'm not without sins myself. I'm not, I'm very aware of my own mistakes and my own shortcomings. But if, if you've taken away that aspect of forgiveness, if you've forgotten about the sacrament, sacrament is something that Jesus wanted, that he, something that he felt was essential for the life of Christians. He instituted the sacraments. The, the first Christians lived through those sacraments. And yet, a whole generation, and maybe more subsequent generations, feel, have felt the, f- the freedom to just get rid of that one sacrament that we all find so cumbersome, sacrament of confession. And I think what, what that introduced was a self-absorbedness, that's the word, um, a certain pride, maybe, uh, definitely weakened our ability to admit that we mess up, that we hurt each other, and that we can only continue if the other person that we hurt forgives us. And the only way the other person can forgive us is if we show them that we can also forgive others, that we are all trying to make good on the mistakes that we did, on the on the sins that we that we uh, that we did and if we if you lose that aspect of forgiveness then scandal and failure and egotistical behavior self-centeredness un- unreasonable behavior not willing to listen uh, all that becomes an unsurmountable obstacle to seeing the good of the church and if you don't, if you if you lose hope that the other fellow Christian, fellow Catholic, is willing to improve, is willing to start anew, is willing to ask for forgiveness, then why bother continuing with him or her? Why bother be part of this club that just is so self absorbed, doesn't really have any uh, any um, self correcting ability anymore? And so people walk away, oftentimes unnoticed, silently. I think one of the one of the reasons, not all of the reasons, but one of the reasons that people are leaving the church in droves is because this church itself has forgotten that it is living out of forgiveness and is a saved community that, yes, has messed up tremendously and still does, but is constantly also aware if God forgives me, it's because he wants to give me a chance to do better. And so I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to try to be more caring, loving, more patient, better listener, etc. And if we forget that, the result is that we actually are a worse version of ourselves. Oops, now I pressed a button and I disappeared from the video. <laughs> okay, press the right button now. But it, it is... I think, I think we would do a lot of good if we would bring back that aspect of forgiveness. And before you ask someone else to forgive you, you should ask yourself, where do I need forgiveness from the other and from God? And, and I think that is one of, the, one of the ways in which this church can heal itself and can be a credible source of salvation and help in the world as long as we don't 
rediscover, I think, this, the importance of forgiveness, I think that we're never going to get anywhere. This is not just something that concerns the church, by the way. I think it's true in our society as well. And obviously, I've, I've, I've followed American politics for four years now under Trump, and I've been amazed by the fact that, that this is a president who can never ask for forgiveness, who always wants to tell others that he's right, even if he's not, even if it's obvious, crystal clear that he's been wrong and that he's been lying or deceiving, he still never, ever admits that he's been wrong. Think of what an, what an example that that's, gives other people if the president doesn't even uh, admit that he, he can be wrong and that he messed up. Why would I care? And it's not just a, a guy like Trump. You see it in the church as well. All those finger pointers, you know, these, these priests and, and bishops sometimes that are vicious, that are always condemning other people. You are wrong. And the, the culture wars. Sometimes there are entire networks built around outrage and indignation, never about themselves. They're the good guys. They are almost saints. Of course, God is on our side. It's the others that are wrong. They should convert or perish, you know. A priest that says, you go to hell if you vote for the wrong candidate. Uh, that's not something I read in the Bible. I mean, I can follow the reasoning, but I think it's flawed. I think it, it, it betrays a certain attitude like, I'm better than you. And it's judging other people instead of leaving that to God where judgment belongs. Start, if you want to change the world, if you want to better the world, if you want to put an end to all the, all the, what, you can, what you perceive as, as being wrong in the world, start with yourself. And if you leave yourself out of the equation, there's no way that you can change or convince anyone else. It's very simple but so hard to put in practice. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this homily, this, this sermon here. I just want to name names also from time to time. I usually try to steer away from politics because I know it's, it's uh, you know, very spicy material and people get upset about it. But, but just looking at the situation, sometimes you have to just say what you see and ask questions, right? You can always learn from that. Hey, thank you for listening. If you want to listen to even more of me and, and what is in my sphere of interest, check out Father Roderick to the Max, the show that I produce every week for my patrons. If you want to become part of that community, go over to patreon.com slash Father Roderick. See you next week. Take care and God bless.